This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 2nd, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The debate over Indiana and other states' religious freedom restoration acts has been reduced to the idea that either you must oppose discrimination and therefore want to ban it, or you must support discrimination and want it enshrined in law. Molly Hemingway is a senior editor at The Federalist. She argues that contemporary discussions about religious liberty are at best terribly confused. The basics of what religious freedom bills do have been wrongly articulated, and uh, the reaction from people about legislation that is actually quite good at the federal and state level. We've had religious freedom bills for more than 20 years, and they've been used as a way for people to fight against government encroachment. Uh, But the way that we discuss this just led to mass hysteria. And it's a shame because religious liberty legislation that balances individual rights against uh, legitimate government interest is an important thing to have in a free society. I think what most people who are broadly opposed to the law to the extent that they, they know that this debate is taking place, hear the word discrimination and view uh, these laws as institutionalizing it, like uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, did. Yeah, what what people have been doing in discussing these bills is they come up with these imaginary scenarios that exist in their head about how how the how they work out. And what's missing from this discussion are people like Kawal Tagore, the Sikh woman who used religious freedom legislation to. Uh, to get justice when she was fired by the IRS for carrying a small emblem of her Sikh faith. Or Robert Soto, who's the guy who won the most recent religious freedom case just a couple weeks ago, who used the legislation to get back sacred eagle feathers that the government had taken from him. It is also true that there is a collision between sexual liberty and religious liberty and that um, people are trying to navigate that conflict. And among those things are... Uh, you know, a case of a of a florist. There is a florist in Washington State who served a gay couple for nine years, and when they asked her to do the flowers for their same-sex commitment ceremony, she explained that that would violate her religious beliefs. So she was serving them, but she wouldn't take part in the celebration of their nuptials. And for that, she's at risk of losing her home and her life savings. And the state sued her. Also, the couple sued her with the help of the ACLU. So what would Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, legislation do for someone like her? Well, it wouldn't mean that she won her case, actually. What it would mean is that when she sued, she could simply raise the defense that she had legitimate religious beliefs that were substantially burdened by some government legislation, such as uh, non-discrimination um, legislation. And if she was able to make that case, well, then the government could still actually fight for its side and say, well, we had to we had to fine you and punish you because we have a legitimate interest here, which is protection of gay people. And we think that, you know, that's more important than your religious liberty. And we have no other means of achieving that thing that we hold dear other than by forcing you to do this or lose your home. So it just, it, it, it wouldn't actually say who won. It just is a way for judges to evaluate the facts in a case. And that is something that has not been articulated well in media coverage of what these bills do. The First Amendment contains numerous rights. Uh, freedom of religion and freedom of association are most relevant to this discussion today. Yeah, what's interesting about the discussion over Indiana's religious uh, freedom bill is that some people were actually questioning why we even have special privileges for 
for religion. And it is, of course, worth noting that, as Bill Clinton said when he signed the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act in 1993, religion is the first thing mentioned in the Declaration of Independence, and it's the very first thing mentioned in the first amendment to the Constitution. It's clear that the founders did think there was something special about religion. And I think it's important for people to think through it because whether or not they're religious, this freedom this freedom covers them. And our indeed, our entire understanding of conscience is derived from our understanding that religion is important and that um, uh, the, the ability to be free to understand divinity and your relationship to it, including if you reject it, is an important part of understanding truth. And if you, if the government forbids you from having an understanding of truth, then you really have no freedom at all. It's just, it's very interesting when uh, the government decides that some interest must trump religious freedom. And I think for a lot of people who are opposed to RFRAs generally, it is because they simply don't have much regard for uh, religious conviction at all. I think that definitely came into play, but it's very dangerous. Uh, there's this one civil libertarian who's talked about religion being the thin end of the spear. And the more deeply embedded into a society the freedom of religion is, the better it is for all of our freedoms. You can look around the world and see places that don't protect religious freedom are also places that have very little other freedom, whether it's Saudi Arabia or China. These are places that are notorious for their restrictions on religious freedom and also for being human rights nightmares. And um, it's it's hard sometimes for people who maybe they think that they don't have freedom, that they don't care about religion to see the importance of it. But even rejecting religion is part of religious freedom. It's something that's only permissible in a society that explicitly protects religious liberty. So what do you think of uh, the way this has changed or that this kind of discussion has changed from the early 90s to today? Yeah, no, it's fascinating to see how things fell so quickly. So in 1993, Congress came together nearly unanimously to pass Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And this was in response to a Supreme Court decision authored by Scalia that sort of overturned the way we understood religious freedom up until that point. And it was such a bad decision, which uh, the the case Employment Division v. Smith dealt with uh, someone who ingested peyote and was also a federal employee and was fired for that. And he he asserted that this violated his religious liberty, and Scalia authored the decision that the government had enough reason to um, to to fire him. And so everybody came together because they could see, well, if you can fire the guy who's ingesting peyote, they might come after the Lutheran who's receiving wine in the sacrament or something, you know. And everybody could see where the problems lay for their own religious belief. And so everybody came together. And Bill Clinton gave this really beautiful speech in defense of religious freedom when he signed it about the importance of in a pluralistic society tolerating people whose views we disagree with and how that's an important you know, thing. A lot, of, a lot of countries don't have so many different views as we have in our, in our country. This is actually a strength that we, we've always viewed it as a strength and we should continue to view it as a strength. But it does require restraint from the government. There doesn't appear to be a very clear middle way here. Like you say, you're talking about restraint from the government, that is tolerance for a diversity of views and allowing people to express those views 
uh, throughout their lives. And the other side, which is, as far as I can tell, is discrimination is bad. And if you think somebody has a right to engage in it, you are bad. Right. It, that seems to be how the debate has gone, which is unfortunate because you should be able to hold two thoughts in your mind at the same time, that certainly discrimination is bad and also our founding freedom, our uh, this natural right that we all have of religious liberty is also important. And sometimes those things will come into in tension and it is a good thing to err on the side of, uh, of liberty. And what's also disconcerting to me about this is that seeing how few elite people were able to see the importance of of maximizing our liberty at a time like this it i mean it, i worry about what's next what what is the next thing that we're going to go after i assume it's going to be something speech related uh, but just to see how so many americans elites on down don't see the importance of fighting vigilantly against government encroachment on our beliefs or otherwise. It's, it's not a good sign. Molly Hemingway is a senior editor at The Federalist. You can read more about religious liberty, discrimination, and free association at our website, cato.org.